Welcome back to another episode of Sober Black Girls Cup Podcast with your hosts, Jay Nicole and Katie. And guys, today we are not by ourselves. We do have a guest. I know it will be a phenomenal conversation. Per <laughs> usual, we have in the building with us Fauna Asphalt, man, sober daughter, coach, author, so many amazing things. But before we get into that, Katie, how you doing today? First, let's give a round of applause for Jacob Nicole. <laughs> and then let's give a round of applause for Fauna, I guess. <laughs> I'm good. Um, so last night, you know what I did? Um, I went to go see uh, Black Panther. Wakanda yes. Forever. Did you guys see it yet? Yes. I did not. I cried the whole damn time. I thought I was, that's why I was delaying it because I thought I was going to cry because the commercials and the informations before them were just so like heart-wrenching and they were really like, I thought I was going to be bawling, but honestly, I didn't really cry. I didn't cry and I'm just so happy because I was in the mood to cry yesterday and I'm just really happy that it was more of like a festive um, celebration for Chad. Um, rest in peace. And I'm just happy I saw it because I was delaying it. I was like, you know the Emmett Till movie? I cannot see it. I'm like, I don't want to be oh, sad. I don't want to be sad. So I'm pushing that aside too, but I want to support the movies in the box office. So anyways, I just loved the movie. Um, I loved the movie. I just loved the movie. Too bad you didn't see it, Jay. Um, the ending, I'm not going to ruin it, but the ending was really surprising. Like I was like, what? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was so good. But I think if you have any kind of grief in your life, like I sat there just bawling. I, I was just like, oh no. Then they had a funeral. Then they had another funeral and then a remembrance and then a rebirth. And I was like, oh God, I was. Okay. Well, you just reminded me something. I don't think you know, but like Jay. So I remember your story, story from and you're going to share it. Um, throughout the episode but jay is also like really i don't want to say you're familiar with grief but like she talks about grief a lot she has like a lot of experience with grief and i totally forgot like you guys have that in common Mm. no 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 worries i mean to get into that katie though i I was able to take a uh, kind of like an overview pretty much of, of your story and just like your book and all that but yeah so i do have another show it's called a grief bully podcast and so I'm a grief coach and all that stuff like that. So we'll oh get to that. God. But but we'll, we'll we'll get to that. But I don't Look see God, that. That's crazy. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know we'll, that. For sure. Yeah. We'll definitely connect when we when we get off here and, and talk more about that. But that's definitely a big part of it. I didn't see Black Panther yet. When the first one came out, we I uh, please don't judge me, please. But we we like made shirts. And <laughs> we, 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 we like took it to the extreme. We we Tanya even wore my wife wore uh, I think she even wore black lipstick <laughs> that night. It was like a real good time. But we have a new baby that's only two months old, so we haven't made it to the to any date yet anywhere outside of home. So yeah. we definitely plan to see that as soon as possible. So no spoilers here, please. <laughs> All right, one more thing. One more okay, thing. Okay. 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 Okay, so Wakanda was a great movie. Did you guys also see like Women King? I'm so sorry, but I love the yes. movie. Yes, and that was amazing. Amazing. I left there trying to fight. Like I was just like this, this shit. It pumped me up. I was like, first of all, she is amazing. I mean, she, Violet, she is just it. Like I, the whole movie, I was just in it with her. I was like, yes, and um, that was so good. She's somebody, she's on my list of people that 
if I had to say, can I meet like someone before it's over? I would definitely want to meet her. Right. Yeah. That movie, it was a game changer. I literally left, like called my mom trying to like finish my family tree. Cause it was just so powerful. And it just made me like so happy to like be black, to like be of African descent. It was just such a great movie. And I'm like, Woman King and Wakanda Forever, they really showed out. I feel like that was the two best movies of the year. Like, they really mm-hmm. showed out. Like, I don't think you can get any better than than that. Anyways, okay. Thanks for letting me um, do what I do and talk about things that bring me out. Can I say one quick thing? Sure. I loved in Woman King the way they portrayed Africa. And it was this beautiful, vibrant, like loving, soft, you know, space. Mm-hmm. And um, I just like from being from Africa and having, you know, the representation of us, it's always like hard and yeah. dark and like starving or all these things. And it was so beautiful. And the women were just gorgeous. And every, it was just I, 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 those movies made me feel so good and connected and like proud. I agree. If you haven't seen Woman King of Wakanda forever yet, get your ass. Excuse me. Well, yeah, get your ass in the movie theater. Can I curse on this? We haven't recorded in a while. I forgot. I don't know if I can curse or not. Oh, well. I already. <laughs> get your ass in the theater and see the movies before the end of the year. Um, you're not going to regret it. All right. Let me shut up. No, don't shut up. I mean, listen, that's how I like to kind of start the show. Just ice breaking, checking in with each other, seeing how things have been going all together. So, of course, when we talk about sobriety, it's super important to have these conversations. And I know our audience hears from myself and Katie all the time to hear from Katie and all of the meetings and all of these things like that. So it's, it's definitely refreshing to have someone else on the show. And I don't want to undermine anything that you've done or accomplished. But again, I know a big focal point of our conversation today will be about your book book. And I had the opportunity to just kind of look a little bit through it in your story. And I do intend to support and actually like however I can do that and get a copy and and really look into it. But the book is entitled, which I really love is Sober Daughter, correct? Yes. Sober Daughter. So let's so let's kind of think about this. Where where would you like to jump in? I don't I don't want to just skip on anything. But I think like that title is just like it, it raises like so many questions like what what does that actually mean because it it can mean so much so tell us about the sober daughter title wait can i interrupt that i'm so sorry i i feel like just because i know the story i just feel like if you want to feel comfortable just going like what led you to sobriety i feel like that would give a lot of background to the title sober daughter and then we can talk about like what um and clearly me and jay did not talk before <laughs> Um, yeah, no, no, I think, I think both kind of tie together. I think Jay's question, um, the title of the book is kind of what led me to sobriety. And, um, you know, it's, it's a book about, you know, me finding myself and, what it is to be uh, sober, what it is to be a daughter, what it is to have, you know, the word daughter kind of stripped from my vocabulary. And it was like me reclaiming that word. Um, so it's a lot, it's a double entendre. It's a lot of, you know, power in that word. And so, um, yeah, thank you for asking me that. But 
I did. I didn't know anything about sobriety. Like I'm not one of those people that you know, like uh, heard of support or heard of. I didn't know people picked being sober. I really didn't even know it was an option. Like honest, I just it's it's where my journey took me. Most of us have trauma, and most of us come to support because things got a little too heavy to carry alone. And that's where I was at. And um, I, uh, so I, 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 <laughs> my story is crazy, but um, I have so much that I love about it now that I get to look back on. But when I was in it, um, I'm, I'm from LA. I'm, I'm from, you know, California, born and raised, but my parents, my father's an immigrant, was, um, and uh, from Ethiopia. And so I was raised in that culture, very, like, much so. And um, I would go, you know, back and forth to Ethiopia a lot. And so it was, I'm an only child, and it was me and my mom and my dad. And I don't know if, you know, people can relate to having an immigrant experience of being like first generation um but you you put everything in family and you stay very 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 close um and things are kept in house and you know you you go in a lot so my it was me and my mom and my dad my whole life and that's like we became super 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 way too close just the three of us you know it was it was wild and insane and um, but they were loving and they were beautiful people and my parents are activists and teachers and so I I I put them on a pedestal you know I was like they were everything to me and um, you know my parents ended up getting really really sick and what ended up happening was you know when I was young my father was diagnosed with leukemia and. Um, when everybody was like supposed to be going out and having fun, um, I was I was at home, you know, with a dad who was dying. And culturally, I didn't know how to share that. I didn't know where to put that. I didn't know how to talk about that. Um, so that's when, for me, drinking really became my solution. What around, uh, what around what age? When you say really young, just so we can paint the picture, because if, especially now, if you're leading into to the drinking part of it. Just curious about what age you were when your father was diagnosed with leukemia. Well, that's a fun fact because my dad was diagnosed six years before anyone told me. So culturally, again, you know, he didn't want me to know. And it was this like realm of denial. But you know, when you know shit is off, and you know shit is not right. So I would say around 14, um, in his world, this is when the sickness started. And in my world is when denial and escape and avoidance started. And um, that's when I would I picked up my first drink. I was... 14? No, I'm 14. I was like stealing cigarettes, like trying to hide... You know, and, and it's interesting t- because for me, understanding like what made me that way, you know, is 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 not a collection of like what happened to me. Like very young, I felt. I felt different 
from my family, which was only two people. And we were so, so close. But I always felt like there's, I'm just, I'm different. Like I'm too sensitive. I'm overly processing stuff. I'm in my head too much. Like I just wanted to get out of myself really, really young. And so I would start sneaking cigarettes. I would start, you know, like trying to find people that were doing weird stuff. And then my first real drink, like where I like could understand what I was doing was uh, 15 and a half. And I went to a 21 year old's birthday party and I, I drank till I blacked out. First time. Like, I don't know where that came from that I was just like, this is, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm good. And I felt that relief. And I was like, something's weird at home. Something's weird with my dad. Something's weird with me. Like, I don't know how to handle and, and talk about or process any of this. And I just was like, gangbusters. I think that's one of like the part reasons why I really do appreciate your story. Cause I feel like for me, it gives a different narrative. Like what I commonly hear um, of like you being close with your parents, not necessarily having like a tumultuous relationship with them, um, but still feeling like different and still feeling like, you know, I needed to escape. But like, all our stories are different, but you know, sometimes they have a commonality of childhood abuse, blah, 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 blah. But that wasn't your case. So I know people listening, someone is going to definitely identify with like, well, yeah, maybe my parents treated me well and we had a great relationship, but I was still sad or I was still, they was, mm. I was still experiencing A, B and C and that's justified, you know, like that's, that, that's, that's human. Like, so thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I do too. You know, like sometimes, um, stories can either like separate us or we can, you know, find the feeling. I think the feeling is the same, you know, no matter what happens, the feeling of like, I couldn't deal. Like I just, I couldn't be in my own skin. I just, my, my parents were loving and, and super kind, but I couldn't, I couldn't hold on to that. You know, I was like swirling in my head and my head was driving me crazy um, yeah. And so I, I drank young and, and that wasn't, you know, my family, my parents had no alcohol in the house. Like they were not drinkers. They did. They never drank. I never saw them drink anything or, you know, do anything. They, and, and so I found it, you know, that's me. And, and so that made me feel even more othered from the, the closest two people in my life. I'm like, I'm not like them. Why do I need all this extra just to deal? And um, yeah, my dad, I, I, once it started to show its signs that he was, you know, really, really sick and not going to be able to last much longer, um, that's when my mom finally told me. And she was like, you need to get on the internet and try and find, you know, cures like for leukemia. I was like, what? And that's how she told me. And so uh, for the last year of his life, and this was like when I was 18, uh, I was hospicing my dad. And so it was just nothing that I, you, I don't know if anybody's ever been a hospice nurse or end of life nurse, 
first of all, you, you, I don't need, you need so much experience to do that. But as a kid doing it for my dad and seeing the things that I saw and having to do the things that I had to do, you know, it was, I just, I was like, check out, check out, check out, check out. I was like, I remember alcohol checks me out. I remember it's my solution. And that's, and I just started drinking every single night to go to sleep, to disappear, you know, but I didn't have the option to like not show up. So it was really, it really messed with my head because I didn't understand that like I had a problem. I knew I had a solution. I was like, oh, this helps me do what I need to do, you know? Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, thank you for for your vulnerability and and your transparency and sharing that. It was so many things that you said that I, it was just like all of this stuff just ricocheting in my mind about mm-hmm. a lot. And I think it's funny again because we we think sometimes when like Katie was saying that when you deal with certain traumas or certain things as a as a youth, we think about it as maybe someone verbally abusing you or physically abusing you or whatever the case. But what I'm hearing in your story is that actually the silence, mm. the absence, and the lack of the information really became the trauma because that conversation was missing. So then from what you trying to fill those pieces and put it together is kind of what happened here. And I think it's important, like Katie said, to share that because there are a lot of people who walk through life and like, oh, I know I had a great childhood. I had a great life. I didn't have, it's not to say that your parents were not good people or that people didn't have that, but to some extent, we're all going to have to kind of work through and heal through and navigate through something. So I think that is powerful to hear that someone's situation was based on a lack of information and a silence. And then again, it wasn't intentional. I'm sure I would assume anyway that your parents were doing it to protect you, not to hurt you. And I think that's a big thing too, is is that it, um, the intention of, of what our loved ones are doing or what our environment actually produces. So, so thank you for sharing that. And did you recognize when you were in that stage? Because you did say that when you look back, you can kind of see things a little bit better. But when you were 18 and you were drinking and using that to cope, did you notice what you were like doing or you just, it was just like now you could say, okay, that's why I was doing it. Or was it like drinking was kind of like fun? It's, it was fun. I mean, you know, like I always gravitated towards drinking. I, it's always been in my story, you know? And so, but I lived this dual life. So like I would go out with my friends when I could, you know, get out of the house, never talk about my sick dad, never talk about what was going on in the house. You know, my, my parents built this, like, I love how you talk about the silence because my parents raised me in this air of denial. It, it was denial, denial, denial. Like, I denied that I was drinking and had this huge, you know, alcohol issue. And then they're denying that, you know, there's this huge elephant in the room, this big sickness. So we're both like, we're all navigating like shit ain't fucking weird, you know? And that is what I think really was instilled in me is like the secrets. And like, so I would build secrets. So I would go out with my friends and that was fun. You know, I'd go party drink all the time. And, and it was just, you know, good to go. And then I'd come home and then it's like not telling them what I did and then not telling the outside what I'm coming home to. Um, 
So it was coping for sure. It was fun for sure. It was all the things. Like I really believe alcohol was my solution for a really, really long time. And it was fun for a really, really long time. And it was scary because I knew something else was hot, was bubbling. You know? Listening to your share, you know, this week, actually, in our meetings, we've been talking a lot about death and about how our culture, and not like, you know, I'm Nigerian-American. I more so identify as being a Black American. I, like, I'm very American. I like, right? And yeah. even in, in regards to, like, my siblings who are identify more as being Nigerian, I identify more as being a Black girl um, from New York City. Um, and we're so we were talking a lot about death and about how like in our cultures and I, I say cultures, I, I, I think it was a common understanding that in our cultures, like we didn't discuss death. We didn't like I really acknowledge it. And we didn't really take time to grieve when things were um, happening or when someone has passed, we kind of just like, okay, we went to the funeral and then we left and then we continued our lives. Um, even like I've shared this story a multitude of times. I remember like one of my first, um, experiences of a funeral was going to my cousin who was shot in New Jersey, very senseless death, um, death, not saying that he was senseless, but the act that it happened was very senseless and just it was just dumb right and I remember being at the funeral and I was looking at my mom and asking my mom like where's his parents and she was like his parents is not coming to the funeral for this like you know like in her in her mind and I don't want to take her culture because I don't want any other Nigerian listeners to be like B that's not our culture girl that's what my parents are <laughs> like you know what I mean she yeah. said that, like this is an abomination his parents are not gonna come from Nigeria and like whatever Nigeria some of them was in London to America to for this and I was like OMG that is so awful like that is horrible yeah the death is senseless but like this is still a person and I just think that like again like listening from listening throughout the week because we talked about death a lot in all our meetings and even like my personal experience I just feel like it's death is not honored in a way where it's like a way, in a way where we're not afraid of it, we are able to talk about it freely. We're mm -hmm. able to not dissect it and like make it such a, a, you know. I feel like if we were more, if we grew up accustomed talking about death more and accepting that with life there's gonna be death, it's just natural cycle. And and talking about even in the movie of like Wakanda, like no one is really. I don't believe, and I grew up Muslim, but I don't practice Islam anymore. Um, don't come at me for that either. I just don't. I don't believe in like a heaven or hell. I don't believe when people pass, they just pass and that's it. I do believe that folks are always going to be with you. They're always going to be around you. And we all have spirits. Our bodies is just a physical manifestation of our spirit. Our spirit still going to be here forever and i just think that like the culture and even like some religious references of heaven and hell and judgment day and blah 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 it really um it really disencourage 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 whatever anyways it really doesn't encourage us to talk about death to accept it to i don't want to say welcome it but like yeah kind of welcoming it you know what's gonna happen no one can live forever you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, of course, kind of welcome it in, in a way, you know, I, 
I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if yes. makes sense, but hopefully it, it, it makes sense. And I, I thank you for like really sharing that because I just like, would you have hoped that you would have learned about your dad earlier? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I wish it was a converse. I wish it was a collective thing, you know? Um, it's, it was, it's just so heavy and when you know you have parents that don't necessarily have tools and um a culture that necessarily doesn't have or implement or promote a lot of tools you know it's like this big scary thing and then they're like oh and then i just didn't have anything to process it with and that's one that's the main catalyst of like the book is I I learned through my process so many tools and so many processes of like accepting and understanding and going through things that like I never knew existed and um my 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 dad did end up passing away um when I the next year when I was 19 and um that just spiraled a whole mess of stuff because you know, it was never talked about. It was just never talked about. And then it became me and my mom. And my mom's not talking about it. She's falling apart. You know, I'm 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 not I don't have anywhere to put it. But you know, when you hold that in, it goes sideways, it goes left. Like I didn't know that grief exists no matter what. You know, like even if you don't think it's there or you don't want to acknowledge it, it's there. And it's going to come out. And so mine was coming out all like my my drinking went from, you know, oh, this is fun and like a solution to like, I'm out here. Like, I'm out here. You know, like with my friend, like my, my friends and I, we were just like hardcore drinking, drinking, drinking. And I had my mom to take care of at home who now had to take, you know, on all this household stuff and a one income home and all these things. So now I'm working and I become a workaholic and I'm just like going to all these extremes because I cannot sit in, in reality and I cannot be, I can't be here. It's just like, hell no. And, um, that lasted for about eight years of just me and my mom in survival mode. And um, then my mom got terminally ill. And that's when shit, <laughs> that's when it went out of my control. I mean, it never was in my control, but that's when I realized like, oh no, um, I'm not, I'm not going to make it maybe. And um, I ended up having to hospice my mom. And again, keeping secrets. My mom never told me that she had diabetes and she had diabetes. She knew she had it for a long time since she was maybe in her 30s or 20s. Or, yeah. And, um, you know, completely disregarded her health completely because of the grief. She couldn't show up for herself. So my mom got sicker and sicker and sicker. And then my world got smaller and smaller because now I'm the caretaker for my mom trying to keep up this house. 
trying to like, you know, navigate life and I have no, 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 no support or tools or anything. And my drinking just went bananas, you know? Girl, I, no, Jay, you can unmute. I'm just saying like, I have to, I feel like I'm going to have to edit this right after because I just feel like this is just so powerful and not like, seriously, this is so powerful. Um, because I feel like folks are still going through this. I think even like with addiction, how we keep it a secret. We don't talk about our illness. We don't talk about as in our community when we're struggling with something, we keep it a secret. Um, instead of like, getting the help that we necessarily need. And I think that like, it's so powerful how you said grief sometimes deter folks from even getting the help that they need or continue or furthering their wellness um, and their ability to live. I didn't know. And I don't know if this sounds ignorant. I didn't know you can pass some diabetes. Is that, um, I, I did not know that. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a, and that's what they don't talk about. There's just like diabetes unchecked ravages your entire body and it's it's a horrible death and i didn't know that either and you know if we had if we had a a a custom even it starts small right so even if it was just my house if we just like talked about our health or talked about what was going on with us you know we could navigate this stuff but there were, uh, it was secrets, it was denial. And I think there's a huge layer in that, you know, being African American, being an immigrant, being first generation, you know, the shame of saying you don't got it together or something's wrong or I need help is, is deterred so many people. I mean, just speaking from my family, from saying, you know, we're we're not making it. We're not able to show up. Like, we need help. We need help. Like, something is wrong, you know. But I don't think they felt they had a space for that. I don't think, you know, my dad came here with, like, dreams of so many people on his back. And, like, you know, he did so much for the community that he's like, I'm not going to tell people I'm sick and dying. Like, you know, there's, I'm, I'm taking care of this and that back home. And I'm, you know, it's just like, it's, it's tough. Like how far apart was it, um, the time span between your dad's passing and your mom's passing? Um, about 10, 12 years. Wow. Yeah. And my mom's was worse than my dad's. Because, well, I, that's stupid. I can't compare the two. They were both horrible. But my mom's, you know, once I learned of, like, the severity of what was going on, I went into hardcore, like, I'm going to save her. And I couldn't. And, you know, I was trying to get everyday doctor's appointments. I was sleeping at the hospital. I was, you know, she was having um, diabetic comas and she was having, um, you know, fainting spells and and, and neuropathy and just so much stuff. And um, when she, when she finally, you know, it was her last, she had a full, um, organ failure shut down and you know we were trying to do every last minute ditch effort we could and she just didn't make it and it was broke me it just broke me yeah i mean 
Did you have any, so at this time around for your mom's passing, what if any experiences or tools, like have you learned tools between the time of like your dad's passing and your mom's passing um, in between then? Like, did you go to counseling? Did you, I don't know, were there any, like, did you learn, I don't want to say learn anything, but I feel the lack of better words, learn anything from your dad's passing in regards of how you were healing and grieving? Did you, was there anything, like, I know you said it was worse, like your mom's passing was worse than your dad. So I'm guessing the experience of grieving and accepting death wasn't easier? No. And I actually learned that I'm really good at uh, not paying, like not looking at my needs, putting myself way on the back. Um, I learned that I could hide in a caretaker role. Um, I learned that, you know, I could be uh everything to nothing you know like i i just i learned really really negative maladaptive coping mechanisms that's what i learned i learned how to shut down compartmentalize uh not look tell anybody the truth you know not use my voice i i went it got worse for me um, because I never dealt with the first time. And so it's like this like tumbleweed that just, it got worse. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think obviously there was so much said since I was thinking about a lot of stuff, but one of the things I was, which you're saying now too, first don't say anything is stupid. You said that that was stupid to say as far as like your mom's being worse. I think for my opinion too, like just hearing that that's hard. Like in general, I mean, I think to go through it, because remember when you said that your mom basically told you about your father's pat, um, illness, but put the responsibility for you to figure it out also in that same sentence. And mm -hmm. so it wasn't just like, hey, your father's sick. It's like he's sick and I need you to get online and find an answer. Right. So then you have that. Then again, with your with your dad, you had your mom to kind yeah. of go through that. But then like yeah. with your mom, it's just you. So like, I mean, I'm only just get offering that to you just because you said it was stupid. And I know that you've been through some, you know, therapy and different things that you've probably worked on since then, because clearly you're very self-aware of all these things. But I just wanted to say, like, I could understand totally how it could be harder and, and it could have felt a little bit worse because and it's also a potential like a redemption thing, I guess. And um, I myself have felt myself in a similar situation when my grandmother passed away in 2016 and then my dad passed away in 2019. And I remember feeling so powerless with my grandma that when it came to my dad, I felt more like, oh no, like this, this isn't going to happen again. Like I'm going to be able to <laughs> like, kind of like yeah. prevent this to some extent. And, and then obviously those things happen and, you know, both people aren't here. So I could definitely em emulate. And, and I do think everyone's experience is different. And with the grief too, just to what you said about not when Katie asked about what you did in between, it's going to meet you where you are. Like grief doesn't care if you did or did not do the work. So mm -hmm. it's super important to have that preparation because then those skills that we learn can, can help us here. But if we don't explore, then we are not going to be able to do that. And that grief is not something we can solve. So we're going to have to figure out how to carry that. And mm -hmm. I think that's could when you translate into where you went with creating a book and obviously like all your other things that you're doing, then you get better and then you become that, that change. But when we're not having conversations and I think what I've heard from a lot of people when it comes to why, why sometimes people don't tell 
and it's not so much all the time with shame, but just truly not feeling like people care. Like what, I mean, what is, what would this be just another sad story, like another thing that someone hears? And if traditionally, historically, they haven't seen anyone actually like genuinely care. So I think that's where conversations like what we're all having here today do for people is to remind them that there are people who care. And, and if you are a person who can extend that to someone else, then knowing the importance of checking in with people and seeing how they're doing it and knowing that we come from a community of people who do need those conversations to be sparked sometimes. Like we can't rely on think that like our our people that look like us are going to just be like, yeah, I'm feeling super broken today. My life's in shambles. I'm feeling upside down. But if you dig like, hey, Katie, how are you? Like, you good? Like, what's going on? You sure? Like, are you cool? Cool. Like, don't just give me the surface answer. And you could feel like that's prying, but I feel like from what I'm hearing here and then just also just other experiences, we, we need more than a, um, a how you doing or be like, well, they didn't mm-hmm. say that anything was wrong, you know, so. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I love that. Because um, I feel the past couple of years, self has really been highlighted and I get it. Like we're supposed to have been nourishing ourselves, but because a lot of us are really delayed, I feel like now, especially being of color being women i feel like now like what's being pushed more than ever is like self self-care self-healing self this and that and that's great like that's something that we should have been accustomed to we should have been practicing but focusing on self does not neglect community because you don't know what anyone is going through and I feel like it is our responsibility. I don't care what anyone says. Like it is our duty to show up for each other. I'm not saying that you have to like pour from an empty cup. And I think that, especially again, being a black woman, we do have a lot of codependency issues. Even amongst people, we feel like we have to be the caretakers of everyone and take Mm -hmm. care of everyone. That's not true. That's not the way. But however, if everyone in community, men, children, um, mothers, aunts, nieces nephews showed up and gave even like 10 percent. that would be like a whole that would be a hundred percent of effort being directed into community if someone is going through something you know what i mean like hey i can't i can't take care of a b and c right now can you do it can you stay with you know can you stay with khadija do so i don't know like there's so many scenarios i'm thinking about but if like literally i think people feel like they have to give a hundred percent of themselves to um to other people um, and if they don't, then they're not engaging community. And I think that frightens a lot of people where they want to be like, oh, well, I'm going to stick to myself and I'm going to be by myself. You don't have to be superwoman. You just have to give a little, like show, and, and I don't want to quali- quantify it. I don't want to like put an amount. I don't want to say 10%, but you just have to really show up for, for folks. Like I just, and I don't, we're not going to survive if, if we're not showing up for folks it's just not gonna happen and i don't think that we need to wait until tragedies like i see like a lot of like on on twitter GoFundMes where like they're raising like thousands and, and hundreds of dollars right for certain atrocities like certain traumas or tragedies are happening in the community and i'm just like why does someone have to die for folks to give this type of care um, to someone in need. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, why does death have to be involved? Why can't people feel like, oh, I'm, I'm sick or I'm feeling like depressed and I don't want to go to work, but I need some, I need some, um, support. I feel like we see that and we're like, what girl, stop being lazy, go to work. Right. Ain't nobody going to give money to that type of GoFundMe. But the moment that person passes, then it's all the money in the world. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I don't, 
I don't know. And I feel like I'm going on a rant. I guess what I'm going to end by saying this, you can focus on yourself and you can self heal and you can, you know, do self improvement and self care. And at the same time, you don't have to like left your community. I think that like, you, like what Jay was saying, you can go further instead of a bland, like, you know, how are you? I, I'm sorry. I'm going to end it by saying this. Like when people text me, I, I, I think it's the weirdest thing. And I'm going to go on this rant where people like text me. They're like, Hey Katie, how are you? Whatever. And then I answer. And then like, they text me like hours later. I'm like, why the fuck did you text me? Like, like what? It, like you clearly don't really, and I don't want to say they don't care about what, how I'm really doing, but that is odd. I just feel like if you're going to, and people do it to me all the time and it's so confusing. Um, so if it's you and you're listening, stop doing that. Like if you don't have time to genuinely have a conversation, just don't text or just say like, listen, I'm just thinking about you and um, just want to drop a text. But I think that it's a lack of like community care. How are you? And what do you think I'm going to give you a, g- a generic answer? Like, oh, if you don't really want to know how I'm doing, just don't. Ah, it's it's weird. Um. Anyways, I'm going on a little rant, but thanks for letting me share that. <laughs> um. I, yeah. Uh. Thanks for sharing that, Katie. I mean, a couple of things. Well, I really, I do have the question for for you. I'm curious because you went through those two situations with your parents, unfortunately. And whenever I ask people this question, they generally like don't have an answer. So I'm curious if you do or not. Like, what would support have looked like for you? Like in that in those scenarios, like what like because I, I it's baffling to me myself included like I'm not great at answering this question like if people ask me that it's like because I'm just so used to just like being resilient and getting through where my resiliency actually to me is one of my greatest flaws Mm -hmm. even though it could be considered like oh that's so admirable you're so strong you get through I think to an extent it's a it's a weakness because I don't know how so like what would support have looked like if you could even venture back to them I love that. I love what both you guys are saying, by the way. Rants and all, I love it. Um, but, you know, I, I so much came up with what you were saying. It's like uh, my situation really in, in strengthened my thought of like this hyper-independence. You know, I was, I was, I was like, okay, it's me and I got to figure it out. And I love what you said, Jay, like when my mom said, he's sick, now figure it out. Cause I didn't even, I processed this a whole hell of a lot and I did not put that two and two together, but that's how my trauma showed up for me. It's like something happens. I got to figure it out. Like I, everything's on my back. I got to figure it out. And so I think what support would have looked like for me is the check on your strong friends. Like, I am unfortunately very strong. I have had to navigate a lot on my own, and I can make it look easy. And it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's, like you said, you wonder if people actually care. Because it's like, also, I grew up with like that, you know, don't complain. Nobody wants to hear you complain. And like the immigrant side of me, it's like, I had to go to school with the elephants and no shoes. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you're sad today. Like, what? Like, that emotions were almost like weaknesses. And it's like, how dare you complain? You live in America. Like, you have all X, Y, and Z. And so I honestly didn't know what support was. I couldn't say what I would fucking want because I've never had it in an emotional, vulnerable, 
uh, drop the weight kind of way. And now that I know what that looks like, I can say it from, you know, 20, like you said, like when I check on people, I'm like, what's really going on? Like, what's really going on? Like, let's take a second. Let's go get coffee or like, you know, like I'm never, I'm not judging just like this is a space to be open. And if I had people in my life back then that could be like, this looks all a little bit too weird. You know, what's, what's, what's going on. Um, but everyone was like, well, fun is managing, you know? And, um, but I was dying inside. And I think that's, that's what, when, when, so when, ha when my mom finally did pass away, um, and I had nothing left to like hold on to and like nothing else to like fix and, you know, before I, that's when my drinking and my disease took off. And I was like, I don't have to pretend for anybody anymore. I don't have to be strong for anybody anymore. I don't have to do all of this stuff. And I went hard left. And I drank and I drank the way I wanted to drink. I, I drank at people. I drank at the people that didn't check on me. You know, and, and, and they didn't know. So there's no, it's irrational. You know, I'm drinking at shadows and ghosts and I'm alone and, and I'm just like, you know, I, I took myself so far alone. And that's the scariest part was I was absolutely alone. And I don't know if you've ever, like, I was in isolated, alone, drinking myself to death. And I went into complete alcoholic psychosis. And I lost my mind. I lost, I stopped eating. I stopped talking. I stopped everything. And I was just drinking. And psychosis. Alcohol. Alcohol psychosis. I don't know what but for anyone listening who doesn't know. Yes. Uh, psychosis. Well, it's like, a, it's an altered state and it's, um, you know, you're completely removed from reality and you are in a perception of what you're, you're not able to process. It's almost like dissociation, but it's it's trauma based, and and so alcoholic psychosis is, you know, alcohol, which is what I really want to talk about mostly too, because I didn't know how dangerous alcohol is. Everyone talks about heroin. I thought heroin was like the end all be all. I was like, oh, I don't do hard drugs. I'm just gonna slowly check myself out with alcohol, and alcohol is it it. It soaks every organ you have in this toxin, and um, you got you know I I the alcoholics induced psychosis, meaning I was removed from reality, and I was now in an altered reality by myself drinking, and I had I got wet brain, and wet brain is most times can't is irreversible. And it's when you've done irreversible damage to your brain and your memory and your frontal cortex um, because of this uh, drowning in alcohol. And so I wasn't making sense. I was I was hallucinating. I was mumbling. I was the person with the shopping cart, like, blah, 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 you know, and I was like, but I couldn't see it. All I could see was there's way too much pain here and I'm out. And um, 
I love how you said about community because the one thing that did save me were my childhood friends. And I happened to grow up with amazing people and they knew that they couldn't help me. And I think that's one cool thing too, is like if you're a friend of somebody and not assuming you can give them advice, not assuming that you know what they're going through and actually saying, they said to me, hey, you're going through stuff. None of us know how to relate to this. And that is acknowledgement to me that validates my pain because I didn't know how to share it because nobody lost all their parents. Nobody, you know, been through this kind of grief. So I don't know how to share it with you because you don't know what I'm talking about. And so they actually came to me and said, we don't know what you're going through. We can't relate, but we know you need some help. And my friends pulled together money and sent me to Utah to a treatment center. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking for your friends. I'm sorry. I have to talk for your friends. Seriously, That's community support. Yeah, That's I, I think community. I, did, I did get a chance to see that part where you came to and didn't know where, like, what was going on. Like, what? <laughs> like, how did I? I woke up in Utah in the snow. Yeah. I was like, what? The only black person for miles. And I was in complete psychosis. Girl, they were like, she ain't going to make it. Mm. They, She is not going to make it. They, they had a, they were getting ready to transfer me to the psych ward. And they said, you know, I stayed the longest in detox of any person they'd had there. And I was hallucinating. I was, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't see you. I couldn't, I was in an altered reality. And for me, I feel like my parents, and this is when I learned of a higher power of a spirit and source for me was I one day just was looking at the detox nurse and I woke up just out of the blue sky. I woke up and that's when my sobriety journey started that day. Whew, that's super powerful. I don't even, I'm rarely ever lost for words. <laughs> if you know me, you know that I always have something to say, but I think in that moment, that was more of having something to feel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I definitely, I felt that. I, I felt your words. I felt like I was almost there. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like excited. I mean, it's already happened <laughs> clearly, but I feel like it's like a, a right now moment of just like that you know, redemption story and that like being in this completely, it's crazy because you were in a completely, not to use the word crazy wrong, but in a completely yeah. hel- hel- helpless, um, <laughs> like a helpless state where you weren't even aware. So it wasn't even like you were hopeless because you weren't aware. Yeah. So like sometimes people are in a level of despair and they, they recognize that they're in it, but like, it doesn't seem like you were even in that mental capacity to realize it. So it's just like when someone when you can like give hope to someone else from your story, when in that moment you weren't hopeless because you weren't even like really so much conscious, you had already kind of checked out making those decisions anyway to, to drink so heavily. So to see you win and, and be able to be here and share this with us, it's just beautiful. So just thank you. Thank you so much. 
I honestly want to talk to you for like another two hours, but like, we clearly cannot do that. Um, and yeah, I'm gonna say Jay. Jay has some. <laughs> I'm like putting Jay on the spot. Oh well, Jay has. <laughs> but again we thought we were supposed to do this earlier supposed to start at one but i got the time difference um incorrect so i apologize so that is like definitely my we fault can do another one huh yeah, there's always okay, good. you're a friend of friend of the show for sure you can always always come back i think that that could even be even more powerful because we, we will be able to, to to dive into it but katie what were you going to say oh i was I don't know. I lost my train of thought. But uh, anyways, that's a good idea, actually, because I just feel like there's so much more that we have to talk about. So let's do a part two. Because um, the like really isn't over. How many years of body do you have right now? March show before. Four years. Like, we need to figure out. Well, not figure out. We need to learn. You already figured yeah. out. We need to learn and know how did you overcome um you know, what happened when you left the treatment center? How did you overcome everyday life plus grieving now? Plus you have to get sober, you're in recovery. That's a lot. Like, you know, folks need, want to know, need to know. I don't know, whatever. You need to know. I want to know. Um, even I kind of already know, but I want to, like, re-listen. Because, like Jay said, like, your story is just, like, so phenomenal. And, again, I'm not trying to glorify trauma or highlight, or like, this is juicy. No, this is inspiring. This just shows that, like... Folks can go through things and overcome it. And it doesn't mean you're going to overcome and be like, you know, perfect Jesus. No one is Jesus. We still have our life experiences. But like this just gives hope and motivation that if you are going through something right now, even something that you don't understand, listen to Fuana's story. She didn't understand grief. Like she didn't know what grieving was. Like, you know, we as a community don't really understand death. But through her experiences, um, and hopefully the next time you can explain, like, what is your experience with grief now? How do you relate to it? I know, um, and I also want to, like, again, you know, go buy the book, Sober Daughter, out available, available where? Where is your book available? Everywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, all the things. All right, so do your own work, and, you know, you can read the book, too. And my website! Yeah, make sure, make sure, you, because that's important. Like, yeah, we know where to get the book because even before between now and part two, to be able to like read a little bit more and then they might, you know, be more intrigued. And then also where to follow you on social and all that stuff like that too. That's super important. Yeah, if you buy websites, faunaaspa.com. And that's my handle. That's my social. Um, I do a lot of pieces on tools and how to navigate and how to show up. And, you know, I... That's my main purpose with the book was like sharing and giving back to the community because the community saved me. Community saved me. And so it is my like deepest, deepest, deepest love is to give back because I literally was saved not by my own, my own thoughts, my own behaviors, my own self. Um, so if, read the book, read Sober Daughter, get all the tea follow along with me and then you know as I uncover and discover and discard and as I go through processes like I, I'm writing it in the book so I literally took a notepad and a pen everywhere I went and I was telling these therapists I'm like y'all so fancy okay tell me again what is this what do we do how does it work oh, okay good and I was like I'm giving this back later and um yeah so I hope you guys enjoy and I'd love to come back and talk about, you know, what I learned and where I am now. Now I'm, you know, working with women in early recovery and and, out, and um, 
it's just amazing to me. It's just amazing. We're definitely, and I'm, I'm not gonna pressure you too much, but hopefully over the next two weeks, you can come back, because I, I, I think it is important. Let's do it! And I think it's a great way to end the year. Um, I just think this is like a great episode, a great topic. Your story is a perfect story, in my opinion, to end the year with. Because again, it's that redemption, it's that hope, it's that motivation. And and again, I I'm not going to like Jesusify Fauna. I don't think like like you know what I mean. We're all human beings. We all have um, our own you know characteristics and and things that make us special. And that sometimes comes with flaws. No one is perfect. And I, and um, so I I don't, I don't want to like you know I don't want to put too much pressure on you and be like oh my gosh the new found jesus but like girl yeah you're doing the damn thing like you went through something you, you overcame it you're still going through life figuring out um the, the many parts of life that we all have to figure out and at the same time you're helping community and you acknowledge that community um was the thing that helped you overcome your challenges so i just feel like we definitely have to bring you back so we can hear the other half like this is not complete in my opinion yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Listen, I second that. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for your bravery and just sharing your story, your willingness to do that. I am confident it's blessed people already thus far. And like Katie said, we definitely can wrap up the year with the continuation of your story. So we're going to make that happen. Listen, guys, in the meantime, you listen to the episode and you are feeling in any way for it's helped you, please leave us a review. We love to hear that feedback. It's super important. If you have any questions for us, slide into the DM. Do what you have to do. We appreciate it, guys. Make sure you follow Fauna. Get the book. All that good stuff. She's going to be Sober daughter. And yeah, sober, sober daughter. <laughs> Make sure we're uh, we make sure we're supporting and showing love and um yeah. So next time, guys, peace. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, that was so good. <laughs>